Hey, welcome. I am Adam, and I am the uh, pastor of Next Generations here, and that's kind of a funny name for a title, but what that means is that the next generation that is to come, so anyone who is born until the point at which they graduate college, I am over that world and have been, been given responsibility by the leadership of this church to make sure that kids, as they grow, are just brought into a knowledge of who Jesus is and how they live out their calling as they just kind of figure out the world that they live in as it is so confusing sometimes and difficult. A few days ago, I was driving in my car with my two little children, one is four, one is two, and we were having the conversation of Christmas and why are you excited for Christmas? And of course, the answer that a little kid will give is because of the presents, yeah, presents, and I'm like, great, I'm failing already. So uh, so we continued the conversation, and I'm like, okay, well, why do we give presents on Christmas? And they didn't really know yet how to draw the line between Jesus is a stable in Bethlehem and why that's a gift. And so we got to the point of, well, God gave us Jesus as a gift. And then my little inquisitive, very smart four-year-old said, well, why is Jesus a gift? And I'm like, oh boy, um, you're four, and how do I explain this in a, in a way that you get it, but is not too deep? Um, but over the next few minutes, it was the first time that I got to preach the gospel to my children. And it was a really cool moment in the car, because that's something that I desperately want for them one day, when they can understand it, for them to know Jesus like I know him. Um, that would be my greatest joy on earth, for them to come to that point. And so uh, you, you preach the gospel in those moments to your children. And the, the whole week as I'm preparing for the message today, I'm praying, God, just, just put someone in my path that I can share with because the last thing I want is to get up there on Sunday and tell everybody else to be sharing their faith, but I haven't had an opportunity or looked for an opportunity in the last couple of weeks. And so I'm praying for that, praying for that, and little did I know that God would put my children in that path. And it was a really important lesson for me because I think oftentimes when we think about sharing our faith, we think about going outside the walls of our home, we think about, you know, going maybe to some other country or whatever it is. And if we have kids, we sometimes miss the opportunities to preach the gospel to our own children, and, uh, which is really, really great for me to come to that understanding in that moment that that's just as important as every other person, if, if not, well, it's not more important because God loves all the same. But um, So it was a really, really cool thing, and, and so it was a really great moment for me. And then I'm thinking about just the world that we live in and the desperation that is found in the lives of so many people that don't know Christ, and it's a really, really crucial moment in America and in our world as far as we as Christians are concerned, because you have the God that we know to be true in the Bible is being molded into basically whoever you want him to be. We're going we're gonna to just kind of say, well, I, I want God to be this in my life today, or I want God to be this for me, because that kind of fits what I think about God, even if it doesn't really line up with what scripture says, or people are taking scripture and they are, they're kind of twisting it in the same way to fit their ideas and their opinions and maybe what's going on in their life, I'm going to take this verse and twist it so that I can justify what's happening. And so there's just out there in, in America, in our world, there's false gospels, there's people who are representing Christ in a, in a terrible way. And it's a really desperate time because we see more and more the people who are willing to come to church is declining and we need to be more mindful and more driven to go out into the world and to reach people for the gospel because 
most of them are not going to come to us. And so we need to have that mindset. So over the last few weeks, we've been sharing a little more in depth what this new mission statement is as a church that we've come to over the last nine months. North and West Community Church will glorify God and make disciples by passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation, one home at a time. And so a couple of weeks ago, Matt started with the passionately guiding generations. And we were in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, the Shema we found there, and that is basically telling us that we need to first and foremost have a really, really deep understanding of who God is, in turn then a deep love for God, and that's where our passion then comes from. We're not, we're not just going to guide people if, we, if we're just kind of doing that aimlessly and without a lot of motivation, so we want to passionately guide people, and that passion comes from a deep love of God, and then we, we of course, guide them through, through different stages of their life. And then last week, he talked about through gospel transformation. In Ephesians 4 and a little bit of chapter 5, he gave us three ways in which the gospel transforms us. Number one, it transforms our standing with God. God views us differently now when we are followers of him. He sees us through the lens of Christ. He sees us as righteous and holy, set apart. He sees us in that way. Number two, he, uh, Matt talked about that um, the gospel transforms our walk. Um, this would be what we, we call sanctification. It's the journey as we go through this life of being um, formed and molded and growing into the image more and more like Christ as we pursue him. And then number three, there was uh, a lot of potential in this point, and that is that the gospel can transform our city. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning is how we can kind of play a part in, in that. But right out the gate, I want everybody to ask themselves a question. Where do I fit into this mission? So this is our mission as a church. We want to do this collectively, but we also want to do it individually. So where do I fit into this mission? And that's a really, really important question, so I'm glad you asked. A few months back, I was sitting at Smithfields up in Morrisville with, um, with Mike Rice, who's a teacher at Green Hope High School. He's also one of our high school leaders. And uh, Mike has had a tremendous influence in the lives of students over at Green Hope in the few years that he's been there. And a student that had graduated reached out to Mike and he said, hey man, I'm really struggling in some areas. Um, and he also wanted to talk about the things of God, talk about faith. And so Mike called me and we got together with this, with this kid and I'm sitting next to Mike in this booth at Smithfields and across from us, we're, just, we're talking, we're talking. And finally, I just said, you know what, I just... I got to share something with you. That's the most important thing you're ever going to hear. And I just walked him from creation and God's intent for um, the design for humanity and relationship with, and then walked him all the way through sin and, and Jesus and future. And at the end of the conversation, we, Mike and I, prayed with this student to accept Christ. And it was a, an incredible moment to just sit there and literally just watch this kid get it because the Holy Spirit, of course, was working. And, and God did that work. It, it wasn't Mike and I, but we were privileged to be a part of that. But we saw this kid get saved right there in front of us. And, and we so desperately want you all to have stories like that where you are, you're sharing your faith, you're living like Jesus, and people see a difference in you. And then you have opportunity to talk about him. And, and then you have somebody in your life that comes to faith in Christ and then you come and you're like, guess what, man, I was sharing with my, my neighbor or my coworker or whoever it is and, and through the conversation, they accepted Jesus and it, it's an incredible feeling when you can be a part of that and we just so, we just so desperately want that for you um, as, as we try to pursue this together. So we're gonna look at the final piece of this, this mission statement this morning and that's this one home at a time um, piece of that. So we're gonna spend our time in Romans 10. If you guys can turn to Romans 10, 
And uh, it's a Bible, it's a phone, it's a whatever you guys have. Just go ahead and get the copy of God's Word in front of you if you have it. If you don't, look on with someone next to you if they'll, if they'll let you. And if you don't, you know, smell too bad. But um, Romans, so this, this is a really, really rich and uh, doctrinally sound book. This is uh, a, a letter written by Paul to the Christians in, in Rome. And there were different churches already in Rome. And so this wasn't meant for one church. This was meant to be circulated between all the churches there. But basically what Paul is doing is just laying out the gospel, the complete work of God in Christ and, and doctrine and things that, that we believe in wholeheartedly and we stand on. This is such a rich, if, if you ever want to read through it, I would say do it, but take your time and really chew on it and really spend some time trying to digest it because if you just breeze through it, you're going to miss so much. It's just so rich and so beautiful. So we, we're going to be in chapter 10, but before this, it's really important we understand this as well. Paul in chapter 9 is drawing a distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. And uh, in Rome, there's more Gentiles than there, there were Jews. But there was a pocket of Jews that Paul was kind of burdened for that we'll see. And these Jews had been pursuing the uh, righteousness by the law, but they lacked faith. So they, they thought that I'm going to follow the law to the T and then I'm going to be good. But unfortunately, Paul saw that they, they weren't Good, And then you have the Gentiles who they didn't pursue the righteousness of the law, but yet they had faith and in turn then were brought into the family of God. And this was huge for Gentiles because up until the point of Christ, Gentiles were excluded from anything that had to do with God, right? I mean, it was meant for the Jews. It was meant for, for Israel. And Jesus came to, to kind of bring a new covenant and to throw out some of those, those old ways of thinking. And he now says the gospel is for everyone. And that's huge for us in this room because I would say that most, if not all of us in here are Gentiles. And without Jesus, we would still be on the outside and we would not have access to the Father. So thank you for Jesus for allowing all of us now to be a part of God's family and God's promises. So let's get into chapter 10. And this is where verse 1 kind of brings us as he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's burdened for the Gentiles that don't know Christ in Rome. But he's also burdened for the, the Jews that think that they're good, but they aren't. And so what he says in verse 1 is, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, this is directed more towards the, the Jews, but we know that Paul wants that everyone should be saved, so we can also think that he has the Gentiles in mind as well. So, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, the, the Greek word for prayer in this verse is the word deasis, which conveys the idea of pleading with God. It's a, it's a persistent petition of God. And um, it wasn't like Paul was just kind of waking up in the morning and as, as we often do, we're eating breakfast. If you do eat breakfast and you know, you're, God, thanks for my Frosted Flakes and please give me a great day. Amen. And it's like, okay, I prayed and uh, it was something, I guess. But Paul is like begging God. He's like, God, please, I, I know you can do it. And my heart is so broken for these people. Please save them. Show them, even though they can't see it, even though they don't realize it, show them their need for you. Show them that they are com completely helpless and hopeless without you. And he's begging God and he's pleading with God. And it was constant. It wasn't just like one time in the morning and then he like looks for opportunities to share the gospel. It was like always on his mind, right? He was always thinking about this and he was always pursuing people and he was always pursuing them knowing the gospel. And, and it was this kind of prayer that he's, that he's praying here because that was the desire of his heart. That's what he so desperately 
wanted because he knew what life was like apart from Christ, right? We know the story of Saul and Paul, most of us, and he was a murderer, and he was dragging Christians out of their, their home churches, and he was taking them and throwing them in prison, and he was standing by and, and watching them get, get killed, and he just was, he was a bad man, and then he experienced Christ, and now he knows what it's like to, to be in Christ, and so he knows the difference, and he so desperately wants everyone else to know that difference, and here's what I would say right off the bat, and this is going to kind of hit a little bit, but your theology if it's, not, if, if it's not reflecting a genuine heartfelt compassion for those that don't know Jesus, then I would go as far to say that you have a theology that is not based in Scripture. Because if you aren't concerned with the eternal well-being of other people, then you don't really get God or his heart. So if, if that's not you, you got to kind of ask yourself, well, why don't I feel that burden? And we'll get to that. I think there's, doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but there's some things that, that we can do to try to, to try to stir that up. So he, he desperately wanted that for them. Now, let's keep going in verse 2 through 13. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30. And without getting too deep into that, it's kind of plain and simple. Essentially what he's saying is, look, you don't have to go and, and scale the highest mountain or, or go to the far reaches, the ends of the earth looking for Jesus because he has already come to you. He came, he lived, he died, and as a result of that and his resurrection, now we have access to him. And, and so he says, look, the word of truth, the gospel is, is in your heart and, and, and in your mouth. You don't need to go searching for this mystical thing. Jesus already came and he's here and he's present. And so we have it inside of us, right? You have the spirit, you know truth if you've been, if you've been saved by the power of Jesus' blood. And so this isn't a, a word that is near. It's not a, a literal word. This is the message of the gospel that we find near to us. And we know what scripture says, I think, about our, our mouth as it relates to our heart. It says Matthew, in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so that could be good, but that could be bad, depending on what's in your heart, right? Sometimes you get a little impatient or like maybe you, you kind of lash out in anger and you go, oh man, yeah, I, I don't really feel like I'm, you know, close to God in this moment or I don't know, but there's, there's a correlation between what is in here and what comes out of here. A pastor said it like this, what the heart believes, the mouth confesses. Belief and confession are like faith and works. The truly saved will always ultimately manifest a complementary expression of their new life in Christ. So it's inevitable that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're pursuing him and trying to live for him, then what is in here will come out of here. And then we have verses 13 through 15. 
Well, we're going to go back to 13 because that's part of this next part. So four, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in, the, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We're going to stop there in 15 and get to the next part in just a second. Paul gives us here a progression um, that's kind of in reverse order, but it's a progression nonetheless. And it's also uh, all rhetorical questions. I don't know if you picked up on that, but these are kind of questions that lead into each other and are kind of self-explanatory if you really think about them. So the first question that Paul poses is, how can they call on him if they haven't believed? In the Old Testament, calling on the name of the Lord was uh, a metaphor for worship and prayer. You see that all through Psalms. Just read the Psalms, right? It's calling upon the name of the Lord. It's crying out to God. It's calling for him. And, and that's a constant thing that we do as Christians because we constantly need God's help in our lives. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's God, rescue me from, from this situation. Or God, save me from, from this. Or um, God, heal me or help me. Or whatever it is, we're, we're calling out to God. And there's so many things in our life that we we are, are fighting so hard for with the help of God because we need to persevere through it. And, and we can't truly call on God if we don't know who he is. And so it says, how can they call if they haven't believed? You've got to believe in God to be able to call on him. And then number two, how can they believe if they have not heard? This question here is honestly since the beginning of the church and when they began to go out and kind of do missiological activities, since then till now, this is kind of the main push of, of missions, right? Well, they're not gonna hear, or they're not gonna believe if they don't hear, which means someone has to tell them, which means I'm going to tell them. That's kind of what drives missions, right? I gotta go somewhere and I've gotta, I've gotta be a voice. Maybe it's someone that hasn't been reached. Maybe it's a really, really hard place to go. Maybe it's right around the corner, but they need to hear it, therefore I need to go. That is, that is missions, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that um, they only have to hear. They could read, right? They could, this can be explained to them. They understand the content of, but the point is they have to somehow get into their minds and in their hearts the word of God and the truth of the gospel. And then number three, how can they hear without someone preaching? The word preaching is the Greek word Carisso, which means to herald. And a herald back in the day was really important because now as we know it, obviously, we have just mass media communication that is just so fast and so wide and you can get anything you want out there on the, on the internet. But before that, the role of a herald was really, really crucial because this person would come into towns and, and stand in the town square and they stand in the marketplace and they would stand up and share news that was really important. They would literally stand in a city square in the public sphere and they would, they would call out things. They would share things in front of a lot of people. That was a herald. And so the word that's being used is that same word. Someone who preaches is someone who is standing in a public sphere and they are, they are proclaiming truth. They are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that what he's saying is you have to preach in front of a lot of people. That just means that you are verbally telling someone about the gospel, but it's the same word used as a herald. In Holman's commentary of Romans, here's what he says. He says, in the media-rich day in which we live, we thank God for the printed page and even for the cutting-edge presentation of the gospel circling the globe on the internet. But it is still the human voice that cracks with passion, the human eye that wells with tears of gratitude, the human frame that shuffles to the podium, bent from a lifetime of service to the gospel that reaches the needy human heart most readily. Hearing may not require preaching in person today, but it always benefits from it. 
So something about that personal touch, that personal experience that comes out as you are sharing with somebody that just kind of makes it more, more real, I guess. And then number four, he says, how can someone preach if they haven't been sent? All right, so don't put your hands up, but how many people just went, sweet, I'm out, there's my exit. I'm not sent, right? I don't feel called to ministry. I don't feel called to missions. Therefore, I can just kind of, eh, when it comes around, I'll share the gospel. I'm not going to go looking for it because I'm not sent, okay? Well, um, news for you, and um, that's why I'm here. Every single one of us, if you've called on the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you have, at the point that you accepted him and entered into a relationship with him, you were immediately sent in that moment. So maybe you don't feel like today you are, but you were when that happened. And um, that's just true for everybody who's a Christian. You are sent. Jesus' final words, some of them were to go, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. He wasn't saying, hold it in and just, you know, sometimes go out and, you know, chime in when you have an opportunity. But he's saying, go out and look for people and, and, and pursue them and share truth with them and, and go, 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 right? Go to the ends of the earth and, and do that. And so that is something that, that we, having experienced Christ, having heard and know his teachings, having, having really been transformed by the truth of the gospel, this is something that we should be doing because we get it and we want them to get it. We want them to understand what that's like. We want them to, to feel and, and experience the beauty of a relationship with Christ. And um, we have all been sent to do that. This, this passage here, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, here's what it says. This is Jesus talking, actually. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's pretty cool. So if I talk about Jesus, then Jesus will talk about me to God, I guess. That's what it says. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's kind of scary when you think about that and the opportunities we may have when we don't take advantage of sharing or we don't speak truth like we should and we misrepresent Christ or whatever it is. Jesus says, hey, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father. And that should... I don't know, man, that, that kind of pierces a little bit. But, you know, you say, Adam, I don't, I, don't feel, I don't feel sent, right? You say that I am. You say that Jesus sent me when he was sending the disciples and apostles. We know what the church is for. It's for living out and glorifying God and living out the gospel out there. But I don't feel it. Well, here's a start, okay? Start by praying that God would send you, okay? Here's how that could look. Here I am. God, I'm here. I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm able in a way. I know I have your spirit. I'm not sure what I'm gonna say, but I know he'll work through me. I'm, I'm nervous, I'm scared. I have a lot of fear about doing that, but God, send me, send me to someone across the street in my neighborhood. Send me across the street and send me to invite my neighbor to Christmas Eve. Just send me to do that. Let me start there. Send me to, to my neighbor. Send me across the office. Send me across the world. I don't know, send me, send me somewhere so that I can proclaim your gospel, because as Paul says in verse one, I want that everyone would be saved also. I remember in college, one of my professors, he would always say, you know, don't, don't pray to God that he won't send you somewhere because that's probably where you'll end up. And so of course, like, God, please don't send me to Hawaii because that would just be awful. I really don't want to go there. Ministry sounds like a complete lame thing next to the beaches and that stuff. So please, anything but Hawaii. And of course, you know, God knows my heart, so I'm not in Hawaii, but we, we do that sometimes, right? We, we often, you know, oh God, I don't, uh, not that person, right? 
I don't want to talk to that kid in school because they're scary. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to talk to that person. He's wearing this college shirt, and we're just not going to get along. And, you know, I don't want to, that neighbor, oh, I don't know, they play music past 930, and it's, oh, it's my bedtime. Like, I don't want to talk to those people, right? Like, I just, oh, send me to someone that's pleasant to talk to, you know? Like, send me to, I don't know, send me to my best friend who already really, you know, they care about God. They're, maybe they don't know Jesus, but at least they're interested. Like, send me to that person. That's going to be an easy conversation, right? Like, we don't want to talk to the, the ones that are going to be hard or it's going to be something to overcome, barriers to overcome. But, but God's saying everybody, Paul says everybody, we're called to, to, be, to be a witness to everybody. And so that's, that's what we do. So the last verse, the last part of verse 15, this verse is incredible. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses just because the heart behind it and theologically what it means for us. But here's what it says. Uh, Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This comes from Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah was a prophet. God spoke through prophets. So in turn, this is God speaking, right? So God says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And Isaiah 52, 7, it goes a little bit further. It says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So God looks and he says, man, that's, that's a beautiful thing. John Piper preached a message on this text. And here's what he said. He said, preachers of the gospel, bringers of God's good news are so precious that we see even their soiled and bloody feet as beautiful. Beautiful feet are not soft, manicured, painted, well-tanned feet. Beautiful feet are like the dirty, worn, wrinkled, leathery, scarred feet from many miles of trekking into remote places with good news that could not be heard any other way. That's the kind of feet that is being talked about here. And then he continues, a lot of people spend a lot of time on their hair, spend a lot of time on their eyes, their face, their their clothes, their hands, their feet, spend a lot of time getting ready in the morning, but they don't spend any time on becoming beautiful. And I, I read that or I heard that this week from him and I just went, oh, that, that like really, really should challenge and convict. And it's so hard in, in the world that we live in because of social media. Social media is so damaging and so dangerous because of what it does to our minds and to our perspectives. And we can live this alternate reality on social media and People that don't really know us that well would never know it, right? They're going to think that this is who we, who we really are, how we represent ourselves. There's a show on MTV called True Life, and I don't make a habit of watching MTV. It's not like on my regular rotation. Um, but years ago, I saw this episode of True Life, and this is what the episode was called. This is going to sound really crazy. It's going to sound like I made it up, but it was True Life, colon, um, I am obsessed, I'm addicted to taking selfies, that's what it was called. And so I'm like, well, this is going to be good. So I start watching this. And uh, more than me finding it humorous, I found it, found it really, really sad and heartbreaking because it followed around this, followed a few people, but this one teenage boy who would spend six to eight hours at a time trying to get the perfect selfie. He would get lights in his room and manipulate the lighting and he would rearrange the furniture and he would put on different outfits and he would do different things to his hair and and he would spend all this time literally to post one picture of himself six to eight hours that's like that's like longer than you guys are in school most days right oh yeah seven hours so imagine just spending all day at school 
You're like, that'd be better. Um, imagine spending all day at school, like, just getting ready for a selfie. That seems so crazy, but this kid was so obsessed, not with taking the picture, but with m- making people think that he was just this perfect-looking, great photographer. He wanted to put on this, this image on social media so people would think something about him because it gave him a sense of worth. It gave him, you know, it gave him affirmation that he is somebody important and like people like him and people think he's beautiful and the, the affirmation and the confidence that people get off social media. I mean, it's, you know, I look at some of, some of the kids, I don't, you know, seven, 800 likes on Instagram. It blows me away. You don't know that many people. I don't, how do you get that many likes? You know, I, I look at it and I go, 1,000, 1,100, 12? Really? Do they, do they really know you deep down enough to say, you know what, I really appreciate what's happening in that picture. I got 100 likes on a picture of my daughters, okay? If it's just a picture of me, it's like 20. It's like, no one really cares about me, okay? But you, but you go on and you're like, oh, I got a notification down there on the heart. Whoa, look at all these people that liked it. And it's like we find worth and we find it's so dangerous because that gives us a sense of false identity and it's not real. It's just a fake thing that people put themselves out there and they are like, hey, check me out. I'm beautiful. Look what I'm doing. Look where I'm going. And it's just, it's just so dangerous when we get caught up in this. We need to have this image as well. We need to look like this person. I need to dress like this person. I need to act like this person. And what God is saying, no, when you talk about Jesus with your family member, when you talk about Jesus with your neighbor, when you talk about Jesus with your coworker, your barista, your Uber driver, guess what? That's beauty. Can you imagine getting to heaven, oh man, and God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. By the way, I saw you when you went and you talked to this person or when you went across to that person. I just want to let you know, I think you're beautiful, right? Can you imagine God saying that to you? He says it here. Imagine hearing that from God. Man, that should motivate us so much more in the way that we live than what people might think about how we look or the picture that we take and we post but it's just, it's such, a, it's such a hard world and culture and we gotta focus on God and what, what he thinks about us. So how then do we take this and how do we apply this passage? Hopefully, as we've been reading scripture, hopefully the Holy Spirit has been using God's word, not my words, but God's words to maybe already kind of teach you some things and challenge you in a way. But I really, I have one main point that I want to just kind of share. One, one takeaway. I don't, want to, I don't want to give you three or four or, or ten or whatever. I just got one, I got one main point. And I think it's going to be really, really important. So I want to give you that point, And then I want to talk about contextually how this mission statement that we'll put up again in a little bit will fit into us as a, as a church. How does it fit into to what we want to do? So first, let's reverse the order of what Paul shared with us, okay, this progression. Let's reverse it because it makes a little more sense when you go through the progression as is intended. So Christians first are sent to preach the word of Christ, and then Christians preach the word of Christ, and then people hear the word of Christ, and then people believe in Christ, and then Christians call on the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the progression that, that we're going for. So the big, the big statement that I just want to kind of leave you with um, as, we, as we wrap up, this is, the, this is the main idea, okay? It is the Christian's responsibility to preach Christ in their context. Here's the big thing. It is is a Christian's responsibility. That's me. That's if you call yourself a Christian. It is a Christian's responsibility to preach Christ in their context. You could change it if you're taking notes, make it a little more personal, and you could say it is my responsibility 
as a Christian to preach Christ. It's my responsibility to do that. It's not my choice. It's my responsibility to, to do that. Now, without getting into all the strategies this morning of how to share your faith, because we could spend a lot of time doing that. Maybe you wonder. Maybe you go, you know what, I'd love to, but what do I, what do I say? Like, how do I approach it? Is there a strategy? Is there a, something I can walk through with someone? Yes, there is, and there's things that work, and I'm happy to share some of those with you. We, we sometimes talk to our kids about those, those things, and, you know, some of the elders or, or find Matt or David, we're, we're happy to share some of those things with you. But I, I want to direct you back to verse 8, because Paul kind of gives us a little bit of a clue that we don't need a lot of those strategies. We just need the Word of God. Here's what he says. Verse 8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word, again, is the gospel of truth. It's not a specific literal word. It's, it's the gospel. The truth of the gospel is in your heart and it's in your mouth. Well, how is that? Because the gospel is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, right? So if we know that to be the gospel and we know that to be transforming in our lives therefore it is near to our heart and in our mouth because we know we know what the gospel is if we've been changed by it well so what's what is what does that look like i mean how, how did he live okay the gospel is life death and resurrection how did he live he served and loved people sacrificially okay maybe i should do that why did he die because he loved you and he believed his father when he said that i uh, that you dying is the only way to bring them back into a relationship with me why or what did uh, what did the resurrection accomplish? Well, the resurrection accomplished so much, and we could talk a lot about what that did. But at its base level, Jesus defeats death, therefore giving us hope that we would be resurrected one day to be in the presence of God. So, if if that's the gospel, then preach that, right? I mean, it sounds okay. Let's make it simple. You live like Jesus. You love like Jesus. You preach Jesus, and then you tell people how much better your life is with Jesus. Let's just start there, okay? And we believe that the context as a church is by doing this one home at a time. That's why we, why we threw it in there. And this statement makes it personal to everybody in here, but it also makes it intentional in its strategy when you can narrow it down to one home at a time. And we intentionally didn't say one house at a time because that is very limiting because not everyone lives in a house, you know, you have um, houses, you have townhouses, you have apartments, you have condos. Okay, those are the physical structures. But we believe home goes deeper than that, goes beyond that. We believe that home represents everybody. There's, in our immediate area, we have families, we have singles, we have empty nesters, we have those that are going through uh, debilitating diseases, we have people who, who seem to have it all together, but maybe there's there's abuse behind closed doors. There's, there's separation and there's divorce and there's students that are juggling time between families and there's an older community right around the corner who a lot of those people have maybe lost the love of their life and they're trying to find fulfillment and friendships and, and community and that's right here, right around the corner from us. And these, these people, you, you live next to these people. You live across from these people. Maybe even you live with these people. Maybe they live in, in your home. They, they stand next to you and they cheer on their kid as you're cheering on yours, right? They sit next to you while, while you're watching your kid sing and dance on the stage. They ring you up at the grocery store. They make your coffee. They, they hold up traffic so your kid can cross a, 
the street going to school. They, they work in the cubicle next to you. They work in the office across from you. They work at the desk with you. They, um, they, are, they are young. They are old. They are everyone. And every single human being on this earth is somebody that God wants a relationship with. We know that to be true. God says that he doesn't want anybody to go without knowing him. He wants everyone to know who he is. So it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, what store you're going into, what school you go to, where you work, what your neighborhood looks like. Every single person that is in that context for you is who you are sent to share the gospel with. The way that you live, the way that you interact, that's what we're called to do. So we believe in the context of church, one home at a time means that we all go into our specific areas and we are influencing people. And then we believe that God can transform this city, that God can transform our world if we would live in such a way. And not just us at Northwest Community Church, but if Christians all over the world would live in this way. If we would get out of the way, stop worrying about ourselves and live so that Jesus would be known, then holy moly, what could God do? Incredible things. But we're just so, we're so scared or nervous or, or not feeling motivated or whatever it is. And this is our responsibility. And shame on us for keeping this inside, right? We have a little, little kid song that we sing about that, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's a great song if we mean it. But the next line is, is a great one because it says what? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to keep it inside. I'm going to let everybody see what Jesus has done in my life. I'm going to see, I'm going to live in such a way they can see what he can do in their life. I'm going to love them like no one else loves them. I'm going to talk to them like no one else talks to them. I'm going to treat them like no one else treats them. Why? Because Jesus has transformed my life and I want him to transform their life. So I'm going to live every single moment of my day trying to get people to realize the beauty of the gospel and I'm going to get out of my own way. I'm not going to keep it inside because shame on me and I just want it to shine before everybody that I come in contact with. That's what we're called to do. Every single person who calls themselves a Christian, not just people who have been called to ministry or called to missions. We've all been sent to do that. Wish we would do it. All right. I want to end with a quote. By the way, I'm guilty sometimes. I I don't want to stand up here like I have it all together because sometimes I let opportunities slip. I want to end with a quote from, from John MacArthur, who's a pastor. He says, our responsibility is to diligently preach, teach, testify, and intercede, fully believing with Paul that God our Savior desires all men to be saved, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. And with Peter, that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. We should be able to say with Paul, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory, 2 Timothy 2.10. So passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation, one home at a time. That is what we are, are going to be centered on. We're centered on God, but we believe this is the mission we're going to be centered on when we move, move forward and we continue to teach you guys and try to kind of move some ministries into to looking more like this. It, it's all with God in mind, God's glory in mind, gospel transformation in mind, and we want to be intentional in how we approach that, and that is why one home at a time, we are all responsible for those in our context. So let us go from these walls, and if God has laid someone on your heart today, invite them, reach out to them, send them a text. Don't let the moment pass you by if the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something, because when we walk out of these doors, all of a sudden life hits, the holidays hit, 
I'm just going to push it off until maybe a a more um, convenient time for me, right? Just take advantage of the Holy Spirit moving and pray for God to use you and pray that God would send you and pray that God would put someone on your heart and maybe not someone specific, but pray that as you go to Starbucks that you would have the courage to whoever the person is making your drink, you'd share your faith with them. You would invite them to church or whatever it is. Don't just wait and be like, oh, this seems like a good moment, but just, just go for it, man. Like just, you would be shocked at what God can do if you just be bold and you go for it. But I could keep on throwing that at you. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray because I'm getting fired up and I'm just saying the same thing over and over. So let's pray. God, thanks for today. And uh, thank you for your word and the truth that we find there. And God, I pray that um, myself included, we'd be motivated even more to go and to live in such a way that people would see you through and in us and that you would, you would give us opportunities, but we would be looking for opportunities as well to, to share our faith, to share the truth of the gospel. It's the greatest message that anyone could ever know. We know that if we've experienced it. So let us not hold it in. Let us not hold it to ourselves, like shame on us for doing that. But God, let us just shine your light to anybody we come in contact with and, and use us in a tremendous way, not so that Northwest Community Church would be glorified, not so that we would have tremendous growth in our body, but so that people would come to a, a saving knowledge and understanding and relationship with you. That is why we do it, and we want to bring you glory through that. So God, be with us as we go, and be with us as we um, now worship and lift your name up, and let us do that just with no distractions in the way and wholeheartedly. God, we love you so much. Thanks for your son and your spirit and your son's name. Amen.